Well, hi. Um, I'm not Kate, and I'm not Kelly. I hope that was obvious, but I just want to cover all my bases. Um, and uh, all kidding aside, though, my, my name's Justin. Um, I actually want uh, feel pretty unqualified to be up here in front of you guys. Um, but I'll establish my few credentials just so you at least know me a little bit. So like Kelly said, I'm graduating from Michigan State, uh, studying engineering. Um, and it might be hard to recognize me with the, the Jufro, but I've actually been uh, a member here since 2014. Um, and the same part of me that, uh, that feels like I'm unqualified is the same part that recognizes that I actually didn't um, believe in God until about two years ago. Uh, now those have been a crazy two years and I'm hoping today to tell you guys about uh, the greatest thing I've learned and experienced in that time. Um, and before that one fateful night, those two years ago, uh, I fought really hard actually to find something more in my life. My freshman year of college, I was introduced to a Christian organization at State uh, called University Christian Outreach. Um, but then I came to faith in the spring of my sophomore year. And in the time in between, um, in the time between, I joined a college rowing team. Uh, I raced Formula One racing cars, accidentally joined a women's engineering group, don't ask about that. Um, but every time I felt like I was missing something, every time uh, the thing that I was doing was objectively pretty cool, um, but what I was missing until UCO was love. Um, and that's actually what I want to talk about today. But not romantic love, it's Christian love. And I'm only 21, I don't want to get ahead of myself, but um, I want to read actually a lot of scripture today, so bear with me if you will. Um, and in just a minute, I'm going to read out of Paul's first letter to the Corinthians, and we actually heard some of it just a second ago. Um, but first, I actually want to give a little bit of context. Um, so this letter was actually written roughly about 20 years after Jesus' death and resurrection. Um, it was written by a missionary named Paul who uh, had visited the city of Corinth, and over the course of his relationship with the city, uh, he'd seen the church go uh, through a lot of issues and a lot of struggles. Um, and he spends chapters 1 through 11 in that chapter, um, or in that, that book, uh, actually addressing the church leaders about some of the issues that he witnessed, um, including divisions um, in the church over uh, practices and rituals. Um, he watched them go through um, issues with uh, sexual morality, with social snobbery, with uh, confusions about marriage and divorce, um, as well as order in church services. Even later in the, in the book, he addresses issues concerning the resurrection of Christ himself. So there's a lot of issues going on in this church. Um, and he spends actually uh, chapter 12 talking about the tremendous potential for spiritual gifts to do good, but how currently in that church they're being misused and misunderstood. And then um, I do want to read out of chapter 13. We join him when he's building on that topic. Um, and he says, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and I have all faith, so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all that I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. 
When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now, we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now, I know in part. Then, I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now, faith, hope, and love abide these three. But the greatest of these is love. So there's a lot in there, uh, and hopefully I can help unpack it all. Um, Paul starts out here by saying that any of these spiritual gifts mean nothing uh, if he does not do them in love. He says that if he can speak prophecy on God's behalf, if he can know an infinitude as only God knows, if he, has, if he can move mountains by his faith alone, and that's, think about that power for a second. But if he doesn't do any of those things with love in his heart, he has nothing and has done nothing. Even in the last section, Paul talks about how, despite the power and witness of those spiritual gifts, they're still less important than love for another reason. Um, the effects of the gifts will pass. You can only speak in tongues as long as you're alive. The evidence and fulfillment of a prophecy have a timestamp tied to them. When all is said and done, when all has passed, there is left faith, hope, and love. And the greatest among these is love. And the middle portion, you all likely know very well, it's the typical scripture read at a wedding. And rightfully so, it's the instruction guide to loving properly. Um, but remember, Paul's not addressing newlyweds. This isn't a toast at the reception. This is a correction to a group of Christians who have utterly lost their way. And I don't mean that I'm correcting you guys, although maybe if you're worshiping other gods, we should talk afterwards. Um, but Paul made our jobs really easy and just gives us Jesus' playbook for how to love properly. Um, I mentioned uh, when I started talking that I came to faith two years ago. Something I'd been struggling before that night was that if, if God is real and he loves me and he can act in my life, why haven't I seen it? And in the Old Testament, he's always like burning bushes and speaking out of thunderclouds and leading his people through the desert with pillars of clouds and pillars of uh, fire. And um, No, I wasn't fleeing from slavery through the desert, but I certainly expected some fire at some point. That seemed to be the common theme. <laughs> Um, no, in all seriousness, though, I was, um, I was at the point where I could believe that God was real. Um, but if God was real, I didn't believe he deserved any of my attention because I didn't see where he'd given me any of his. Um, so on that night, I, I actually prayed. And actually, for like the first time in my heart, I, I really prayed. Um, and I said, God, I'm frustrated. <laughs> I've tried really hard to know you, to learn about you, to truly believe in you, but why then do I get nothing in return? Please, God, if you're real, prove it to me in a way that only you can. And I actually heard God speak like he was standing right next to me, and he said, Justin, I'm frustrated too. But if you want proof, here's proof. He showed me my whole life. I mean, it played out like a movie in my head. It was every gift he'd given me, every torturous moment, he stood by me with a hand on my shoulder. Every moment that he loved me and every moment that he paid close attention to my life and said, this thing that I'm doing right here is really, really important. And I was immediately overwhelmed with the love of God, so much so that I was crying and laughing and shaking so bad I could hardly keep my balance. Um, and I'm not a very emotional person. <laughs> um, <clears throat> but even after that night that I found my faith, it took me another year to realize that my whole life has to be Live for God. Uh, the motto that we have in, in UCO is all of my life for all of my life. Um, 
So I have to live fully for God. And not just like for God, you know, but like that God that loved me so passionately for 21 years, the God that loved me when I convinced myself that he just didn't exist. Um, the God who died for me. And the same God did the same thing for each one of us. God's love is a really beautiful and powerful thing. It makes all sorts of crazy things. Um, God's love drives us to actually want to love others. It's intoxicating. Um, I received God's love so intensely so many times that I'm actually leaving engineering to become a full-time missionary for the same group of people that brought me to that night where I could welcome God into my life with open arms. And that's, I mean, that's crazy. <laughs> Um, and speaking of crazy, actually, there's, um, I heard this saying once that if heaven isn't real, then Christians among all others are the most to be pitied. More than criminals, more than the mentally ill, more than the poor, more than the sexually immoral. Because we suffer greatly. I mean, we give up all sorts of stuff. Think about it. We fast, we serve, we give our money away. Our, I mean, our trademark is service, which is beautiful and it's a good thing and we need to lean into that but do it with love in our hearts just as Paul mentioned in 1 Corinthians that service if not done in love means nothing the service we perform is a beautiful and life-giving thing but it's that balance and chemistry between love and service that creates what Christianity is meant to create in a person one more story actually before I end is about Jesus himself a couple of weeks ago on Good Friday we were confronted yet again with the great suffering he endured for the forgiveness of our sins. And thank God for it, I mean, literally. Um, Jesus was hung up there on the cross, bleeding, crying, dying a gruesome death. And this is only after his humanity and dignity were stripped from him, after the soldiers whipped him and beat him, after the crown of thorns was pushed into his head. Um, and he was forced to carry his own cross, which is not a small object. Uh, all the way up the hill to the site of his own crucifixion. Um, not so fun fact, we actually get the word excruciating from the word crucifixion. Um, it was the most humiliating and most unbearable form of torture and punishment humanity has ever conceived, so much so that actually most people didn't even make it to the cross. Ugh. And he was God. He could have stopped it at any moment. Uh, but it was love for the world that actually propelled him to such a sacrifice. It's terrible and it's ugly, and people don't usually like to talk about it in those terms, but I, I think it's really important um, because it says in the scripture that the wages for sin is death, and it's a death like that that we were destined for before Jesus came onto the scene. But Jesus came and died that whoever believes in him should, have ever, uh, should not perish but have life eternal. And where do you think he is now? <laughs> Because like I said, if heaven isn't real, that day, among all days, will be the most pitiable in history. But spoiler alert, heaven is real. Um, and right now, as we speak, Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father, welcoming us into such an eternity on the condition that we confess Jesus as our Savior. And it was the command of, of said Savior that we follow him in all things. Part of that commandment is actually just as we heard earlier by our liturgists. Um, in a very practical way, Jesus gives us a few relationships um, that are supposed to be the model for love. Like I said, we heard them earlier, but I'll actually summarize them again for you. So we're supposed to love God with all that we are. We're supposed to love our neighbor as ourselves, which then implies that we love ourselves. Um, and then we're supposed to love our enemies as our neighbors. So we're supposed to love our enemies as our neighbors, our neighbors as ourselves, love ourselves, and then love God with all of ourselves. 
and all done so equally and passionately. God created every living thing. That means he created each one of us. He created all the people we hate um, and all the people that we love. And they all deserve our love, and they deserve it abundantly. Not because they did something special to deserve it, but because God created them, loved them, and sent his son to die in their place. And those things alone qualify them for our love. And that's actually why I read 1 Corinthians 13, because Paul told us exactly how to love others. He just looked at Jesus and wrote down everything that he did, uh, right there in a SparkNotes version just for us. Um, so my challenge to us all then um, is let's spend our, our whole lives fighting to do the same, to, to be like Jesus, to love like Jesus loves. I mentioned that God's love is intoxicating, and I meant that wholeheartedly. Um, now let's try to, to meet those standards. Amen.